There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again. I'm just noticing it's the 415th episode. I can't quite believe that. Um, we're going to be 10 years old on the, uh, the 3rd of uh, the third of September, which is only a, a year um, a year less than uh, my 11-year-old son. I can't quite um, believe that one too. So it's, it's great to be um, here again and uh, we're going to have another great guest with you. We've got Michael Roderick. We're going to be talking about becoming referable. Um, before we do that, I want to say a big thank you to uh, my guest last week and had some great feedback actually on this, uh, this show um, with regards to the hybrid revolution. So I don't know about you at the moment. Are you... You know, are you um, in a situation where you're, you know, heading, working from home at the moment, um, maybe thinking about going back into the office? Do you have staff members who you're contemplating? Um, do I keep them at home? Do I bring them into the office? Are you mindful that in terms of being um, a leader that today, you know, it's not, we can't really um, lead by looking through the rearview mirror. We've got to keep on um, moving forward, not just um, uh, sticking by our own experiences because the world's very different. We've got uh, we've had the pandemic, got change in technology, the challenges around sustainability. Uh, we're becoming people are becoming much more concerned about well-being, etc. And uh, therefore, uh, there's a lot of kind of issues and and opportunities right now that uh, a different style of leadership is probably required. So if you're interested in all of that, do go back and check that interview with um, Carol, Bob, and Sebastian last week on the hybrid revolution. So to this week's show, the first thing I'd like to do is like to say a big thank you to my um, uh, a friend, um, Bob Coolhan, who's been on the show a couple of times before and very kindly said to me, you need to interview Michael Roderick because this is um, a fascinating um, fellow uh, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, he's got a great topic and that's about becoming referable. And you know, if, I don't know, with, with your sort of business interests, um, one of the challenges that we sometimes face is we might have so much to offer, but not nobody to give it to, or not enough people to give it to, not enough clients. And if we can become highly referable, then business starts to flow to us. And my guest, Michael Roderick, is the CEO of Small um, Pond Enterprises, and he helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messaging memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. And we're going to talk today, how can you become as highly referable as a popular and popular as a Broadway show? Um, because Michael has had a fascinating background. He's, um, you know, today he is, uh, he's featured in, been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, popular podcast, but, and he has his own podcast, Access to Anyone. But he started his career in education as a high school teacher. I remember talking to Jack Canfield about that uh, a, a few years ago, that he did a similar sort of background. And um, but before, after that, after the high school teaching, he went into the world of um, Broadway producing. That's quite a jump, that, from, from teaching to being on Broadway. So we're going to have to find out about that. Then he made a transition then in less than um, 
you made a transition then to creating some experiential workshops around relationship building and the dynamics, a popular conference for connectors called Connectico and Relationship Adventure Day, a networking event combined with a scavenger hunt set in New York City. So uh, a big welcome to my guest today, Michael Roderick on Good Talk About Referability. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're very welcome. Good, good talking to you. And uh, t- tell, us, tell us just for a start before we kind of move on. You live in New York and you know, I'm sort of intrigued. You know, I've been to New York a couple of times, been a few years ago now. I imagine it's changed quite a bit. Um, what's life like in New York right now in the Big Apple? Yeah, um, so we're in the uh, we're in kind of an interesting uh, space right now, where in essence we're starting to kind of go back to somewhat of what we used to what we used to be. We had sort of a very very extreme shutdown, um, you know, in in terms of just like not really being able to go out very much at all, um, and uh, just recently, I think within the past week or so, uh, the capacity restrictions have been lifted. So you're now starting to kind of go out there and see people like you know in a little bit more of a crowded you know type type of thing, not overcrowding, mind you, but you know. Um, it, it, it's starting to look a little bit more like summer in the city normally <laughs> looks, uh, which has been uh, which has been really cool. That's energy and bustle sort of starting to come back a little bit. Exactly, we're starting to get a little bit of that, you know, of that feel. I think it'll take a while to, you know, to get to the point where um, it was where like you could go out on the street and it was just like just people kind of rushing by you and and you know Times Square, it's like this like powder keg you know kind of kind of experience like i think we've got a ways to go before we start to get to that level again but um you're already starting to see uh like the streets just being way more filled uh than than they were at the uh at the beginning of all of this yeah yes i've sort of i remember Times square being very very busy and we've got a We've just got a, a room actually that during lockdown we created into more of a family room. It was a dining room, but now we put a, a, a pool table in it so we, we could focus, you know, have some fun at home together and table tennis top for it. But we put a got a big picture of Times Square that I, I kind of ordered and, uh, and, it, and it shows it busy and bustling. And I remember going to see, you know, to Broadway show and and, uh, and it being a heave of activity. And I was just wondering, you know, the other day, you know, what that's been like. It must be strange to be deserted. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's been very weird seeing the city as quiet as it has been for so long. Um, and it, you just, you know, when you live here, it's everything feels like it's always going. So to have that period where it just kind of felt like nothing was what sort of happening was uh, surreal uh, is is I guess the best way I could describe it. Yeah, yeah, and you and you, how did you? Man, you've got you've got um, young children as well, haven't you? I think your youngest yes. son is nineteen months. How have you? How yeah. have you managed living in in the city with <laughs> you know, during lockdown with a, a lovely nineteen month old baby who's uh, one child wants to be everywhere and. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got yeah, I've got a, a 19 month old and I've got a four year old, both little <laughs> little girls. So they keep me, they definitely keep me on my toes. Um, it's been a lot of just sort of uh, coordinating uh, with with my wife and basically being like, okay, at what times can I sort of lock myself in a room and <laughs> get some work done? You know, and what times am I out? You know, on on, on daddy duty and and handling all of the other, uh, you know, all of the other 
logistics. Uh, I've, I've often kind of made the joke that it's like, I have my parenting shift and then I've got my, <laughs> I've got my you know, entrepreneur shift. Um, and, uh, sometimes they, they blend together. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you, what, what inspired you to be a teacher and then move to, you know, in, to Broadway shows, how on earth did that happen? What, yeah. So I've always had an interest in both uh, education and, and theater. Uh, so when I was when I was very very young, I was the one who would always sort of perform, right? Like I was the one who would, you know, volunteer to do the reading in class and and get up there and act things out and you know all those different types of things. So by the time I got to high school, I was doing a lot of acting, I was doing a lot of performing, and I decided I wanted to go to college specifically for theater performance. And my mother, um, who at the time uh, was a kindergarten teacher. Uh, basically sort of had the conversation that most uh, actors or aspiring actors have with their parents, which is, what are you really going to do? So there was this, you know, there there was this dynamic of, okay, yeah, you can go to school for theater if you also go to school for education, Hmm. you know? Uh, So I actually double majored. I was a secondary ed English and theater performance were the two, uh, were the two majors that I did. And because I kind of lived in both of those, uh, both of those worlds, I learned a lot about both, uh, about both of those worlds. And one of the things that I learned about specifically about education was that I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this aspect of sort of taking uh, complex ideas and breaking them down and having students and, and helping them sort of, you know, uh, accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. So when I was approached by a friend of mine who was living in New York City, uh, I got actually offered two jobs on the same day. I got offered a job teaching at my old high school and then I got a job offer uh, off teaching in New York. And I was a little torn and I had some conversations with some of my friends and, and they said, you know, here in Rhode Island, you're a big fish in a small pond. Everybody knows you. You can pretty much get anything you want because you're just like, you're well known. You go to New York, nobody's going to know you. And I said, I'm going to go to New York and create my own small pond. And, <laughs> and that's what I did. That's, you know, that's where the name of the company came from. Um, and basically, while I was teaching, I just I got interested in what the theater scene looked like here, right in the city. So it started with me just sort of volunteering here and there at some, you know, for some theater companies, and I got to meet a number of other directors and uh, people who were developing developing shows. And then uh, when I went to, I decided to get my master's at NYU in educational theater, where you basically combine the concepts of education and theater. And while I was at NYU, there were all these kids from the theater program who they wanted to do their shows, but they didn't want to do the producing side. They, mm. didn't, they didn't like the logistical side of it all. And I really enjoyed that. So while I was teaching, I started producing these smaller sort of, you know, 99 seat and under shows. And I got to know a lot of people within the theater world sort of through that. And one of the things that we had to do is we had to raise money to do these shows. And the main thing that we often did was we would use bar parties as a way to raise money and basically say like, come to this bar and drink with us and then, you know, donate to the show and we'll raise enough money to do the show. But the problem was that over time, everybody was hosting a bar party and all the theater companies, those smaller theater companies were competing. So we had to come up with something else. 
So I came up with this idea to basically create uh, an event where we would put 15 different theater companies in the back room of a restaurant and then invite writers, directors, actors to come and meet all of those theater companies for, you know, a donation to the show. And because I did that, I got to meet all of these heads of theater companies. And that's how I started to get to know the folks in the Broadway world. I started to connect to more Broadway producers. And that's how I started to learn more about Broadway and sort of how Broadway, how Broadway works. And that's really where the, that first sort of like break in kind of, uh, kind of happened. And there's a whole sort of, uh, way that I ended up getting into the Broadway world quickly. Um, but I'll stop there because I imagine there's, you know, bits and pieces that, uh, might be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, it's, it's great. But that was that what you call Connectico then you're. So ConnectorCon actually came a lot later. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, ConnectorCon came after I had had a lot of people asking about the whole Broadway producer to, um, a teacher to Broadway producer sort of, uh, dynamic. And I started teaching these networking workshops. So people had sort of asked me to like teach them these relationship building concepts. And I used my educational theater background. I used to host workshops where I would simulate networking experiences. So I'd actually have people act out one-on-one meetings, job interviews and cocktail parties. And because I became really known as this super connector by a lot of people in a lot of different industries, I looked around and I realized, you know what? Nobody is actually bringing connectors together. There's lots of conferences that are specifically for whatever the industries are, but nobody says if you're the type of person who actually likes to thread industries together, what do you have? Uh, and that's really where ConnectorCon came from. I was, I was very, very interested in what would happen if you got all of the people who are interested in connecting other people and you got tons of different industries together to discuss what is best practice in making relationships, building partnerships and all of those types of things. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And, and uh, that led to a relationship adventure day. That sounds Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. So I met all of these interesting people uh, and the conference environment sort of gave us the opportunity to sort of present things and come up with ideas and, you know, but there wasn't a lot active that you do in a conference, right? You go and you watch a panel and you go to lunch and, you know, et cetera. So I just thought like, how fun would it be to kind of go around the city and do a bunch of activities? So I came up with this idea where I had people fill out these four part surveys that told me a ton about them. And then what I did was I crafted individualized experiences for the people, put them in teams and had them do a scavenger hunt throughout the day. Um, and then set up these random meetings all over the city with people that I thought it would be interesting for them to get yeah. to know. Yeah. Oh, great. So, so connected them, connected them together. Now, obviously we're going to talk about referability now, now and, uh, or maybe we'll get a chance to find a bit more about the Broadway producing. But what, how would you define referability? What, what does it mean to you? Yeah. So referability is about will people talk about you when you are not in the room in a good way? Mm. So how have you made it so that others are talking without you needing to physically, physically be there? It's like your presence is felt all the time but you're not physically in the room 
most most of the time. It's like, you know, it, it, it's exactly how we ended up here, right? It's somebody said, you have to talk to Michael, right? Yeah. And that's the dynamic of referability. When you have referability, people are just like, they just want to introduce you to other people within their, within their circle because they're, they're like, you need to have this conversation. It's really important that you meet, you know, that you meet this person or that you connect with this person. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so people, people are basically thinking about you because you made an impression on them. You're, you're kind of front, front of mind and people will, um, will say, ah, you've got to, you've got to talk to Michael. You've got to, got to talk to Chris and be on Chris's show or whatever. So, uh, so that's what so you create that in people's mind. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's the type of thing where if you're able to sort of, have people always thinking about you, you become kind of their go-to for introductions, right? Hmm. So it's like they, they meet people and you're the, you're the top of the list for the introductions that they're going to make when you're at that referability, when you're at that level of referability, when people are referring you as opposed to, um, okay, yeah, you're doing this. I think you might want to meet this person. It's more like, oh my God, I know the perfect person for you to meet and you just come up again and again and again, yeah. uh, in people's minds. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it's good to think about that. So, how, so we're going to go to commercial break, um, in a minute, but maybe if you're sitting here listening to this, um, have a, have a think now, you know, how referable are you and how often I, are people passing your information on and introducing you and, and connecting you, and um, if it's uh, if it's not happening as frequently as you you might like, um, why might that be? So I, I think probably ponder that over the. And if it is happening to you frequently, what is the the secret? What is the um, what is the secret ingredient that maybe you could even more of? So you have even more referrals flowing flowing to you, and uh, your business is thriving and elevating as a consequence of it. So we're back again in just a couple of minutes. We're going to go and explore all the different elements of referability after the break, and uh, we'll find out a little bit more about Broadway producing, no doubt in the in the process. So we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Michael Roderick, and we're talking about um, referability. And I'm sort of getting a picture of Michael in his background, coming from you know, English in the theatre, and then um, finding himself, uh, you know, uh, having the opportunity to move into um, Broadway, producing and raising money, connecting people together, which led to connecting kinds of events to this subject, really, of re- referability. So uh, we were just chatting in the break. I. I certainly didn't understand. I interviewed a guy, um, Brant Pinvidic, who was a Hollywood producer, and he helped me understand what um, what Hollywood production was about. It's not about producing the um, the, the actual performance, is it? No, no. <laughs> Mo- most of the time, every once in a while, if you're um, if you're at the level of uh, creative producer and you're sort of at the very, very top of the food chain, you may be able to develop your own project. You may be able to um, you know, be more involved in sort of the day-to-day. Um, but for the most part, producers are raising money. That's really at the heart of, of the work that you have to do. You have to find the resources to make the show happen. And that's, that's really at the heart. Anytime you see the, the title producer, especially in Broadway, it really comes down to this aspect of you're raising the money to make sure that the show is able to run uh, for uh, whatever length of time it's able to, it's able to run for. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's, um, what, you know, what are the kind of the, the aspects and qualities of a, a Broadway show that make it highly referable? Um, Cause I imagine, you know, with, with shows, it's one, and it's when people come out, isn't it? And you got to go and see this one. It was brilliant. You know, that, yeah. that kind yeah. of. Yeah. A lot of the time it's, um, it, it has to do, uh, uh, interestingly enough, with Broadway specifically, it has to do with how, um, I guess the best way I can describe it is how easy it is to get without actually seeing it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, your title in a Broadway show can either make your show a success or completely kill it Yeah, if you're not careful. Uh, because in essence... People, most of the Broadway market is tourists. So the largest percentage of people who are buying tickets are tourists. They're not New Yorkers. Yeah. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't necessarily think about, right? And tourists go and they look at a poster or they see a commercial and they usually make kind of an instant decision based on what they're, you know, what they're seeing. So when you look at the shows that do very, very well, they almost always have some aspect that is recognizable to people outside of 
the industry. So if you look at the long-running shows, shows that have been around for a really long time, most of the time they have what I like to refer to as an anchor, right? Something that is so familiar to us that we say, okay, yeah, I get that. And then we're open to kind of seeing the show, right? And seeing like, well, what is their sort of version of it? And Disney has done this really well with Broadway over the years, right? Because how long has Lion King run? Well, yeah. And the thing is, people recognize that brand because it's been around for so long. And it's very hard for you to just like go and be like, oh yeah, well, Lion King, what is that? Right? Almost everybody, if you're listening right now, almost everybody basically is like, oh yeah, I know what Lion King is, right? But if I said, um, you know, uh, something rotten, which was a Broadway show that ran a couple couple of years ago, not for, you know, not for too long, only Broadway fans would be able to answer, you know, and say, oh yeah, I know that show. I recognize that show. Or the, you know, tourist who ended up finding the, you know, the cheap ticket at one of the, you know, at, at one of the ticket booths or, or something like that. Okay. So a lot of the time, and this is actually one of the, the um, main principles, and it's actually the first principle of referability, which is accessibility, right? You have to give your audience an anchor because the way that we understand things is always in comparison to something else. It's how we're able to process information. We're able, we basically look at something and say, this is like this, or this is not like this. We need an anchor for understanding. If something feels too new to us, or it feels like we just can't wrap our head around it, we usually don't spend any time with it. Yeah. You know, how many times do you see uh, a title for a movie or a poster or, you know, any, anything? And you say, oh, I don't really understand that. Do you want to go and dig deeper into it and yeah. read, you know, and read more about it? Um, yeah. It's it's not very it's not very common. Yeah, there's more. I mean, I, I if you look at some of the the Netflix and things like that, we might look at a movie on there, and uh, you get for, you go for the ones that you know, and then you kind of get a bit stumped, then don't you, in terms of uh, yep. what do I want to see next? Um, but, I mean, what you got me thinking about with Lion King actually was I've seen a lot of. Um, a lot of musicals, but um, I haven't seen Lion King. Um, I'm just thinking, why haven't I seen Lion King? Well, I think I better add that to my repertoire, you know. <laughs> um, but um, you know, that's that's one. Of, yeah, I think you, the fact the the fact I hadn't seen it in the list of things I had, and it's well known. Mm-hmm. The well known suggests quality, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, you know. It doesn't always, right? So there's lots of instances, um, and this is actually something that a lot of entrepreneurs end up struggling with, right? There are lots of instances where the quality of the thing is actually significantly better than the marketing of the thing. Yeah. yeah, Right? Yeah. And there are lots of instances where the marketing (laughs) of the thing (laughs) is significantly better than the quality of the thing. Yeah. Right? So the thing is, the Lion King is a recognizable brand, but you may go and see it and think, well, that was kind of boring yeah. or that wasn't really that interesting. Yeah. Right. And it has to do with the fact that you have a certain palette, if you will, yeah. for 
the entertainment that the entertainment that you see. And just like a, a restaurant critic has a very, very refined palate and basically sees something and says, okay, I'm going to taste this. And they know like, okay, this is why this is at the, you know, sort of top, top of the food chain. Whereas the average person would go to that five-star restaurant and think, oh my God, this is the best food in the world. This is why the critic can, can argue uh, that this is not the best food in the world because they have the refined palate. And the mistake that we, we often make when we are in that sort of innovation space, when we're innovative people, is that we think everybody else has our refined palate. Yeah. We yeah. think everybody else wants this, you know, um, uber complicated, <laughs> you know, innovative, like shock you kind, kind of thing. But in the initial stages of any message, we need an anchor. We need something that helps us understand it. You can then introduce an innovation and we're happy to hear about that innovation. But if you open with your innovation, if you open with your thing that's too new for us, in many cases, what happens is we, we're like, oh, I don't really understand it. Or even worse, we're like, that's just too weird. I have to, you know, I, I have to step away. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that was my experience of cats on Broadway. <laughs> I came out, oh, God, the best bit was walking outside and finding myself in the middle of a, a U2 film shoot. That was the best bit of the bit I really remember. But, but, uh, but cats, I wasn't the right audience for it. I, I, I really yeah. So what, what are the components of a great referability strategy then? What, um, sure. for, for an individual or for a business, what must we yeah. get right? So that first thing is the accessibility. You've got to make sure that people outside of your industry understand what you're talking about. Yep. And the, the mistake that I see a lot of uh, people make is this aspect of basically being what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened, right? All of their friends are patting them on the back and be like, yeah, that's a great, you know, that's a great message. That's a great thing, et cetera. Cause they're all in the same industry. But ideally what you want is you want to be able to go to somebody who is not in your industry at all and say, this is what I'm about, or this is, you know, this is what my idea is and have them be like, Oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. And if they don't, and they feel like an outsider, they're not going to share that message. Yeah. Right. The second you make somebody feel like an outsider, they are not going to share the message. They're not, and in many cases, they're not going to want to even come even further. Right. And so that's the first principle is that you really, really have to focus on this idea of accessibility and give people an anchor for understanding. Yeah. Once yeah. you've cleared that hurdle, mm. then you've got to think about influence. And what's really interesting is that we're often taught that influence is about persuasion. Yeah. Influence is about us getting other people to, to do things. But true influence is when you do something without me asking you to do it. Mm. If you do it and I didn't ask you, then I truly have had influence on you. Yes. So the question then is how does that work? Like, how do we get somebody to share something without actually asking them to share something? Hmm. And at the heart of it, it's we make them look good. Mm. So most of the time, if we create something, we're trying to make ourselves look cool, yeah. right? We're like, hey, look at this really cool thing. And hey, don't you want to share it? And what we want to be thinking is how would sharing this make somebody else look cool? 
makes somebody else look interesting. And I often like to refer to this as the magic trick. So if you've ever seen a magician, almost every magician has at least one trick that they can show you and then show you exactly how they did it. And in essence, just teach it to you, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the next thing that most people will do if they learn the trick? They'll go to a party and they'll be the amateur magician during that moment, right? They'll be like, hey, look at this cool thing I'm able to do with this card or look at this cool you know, way that I'm able to make this thing disappear or whatever the scenario is. And that's the thing we don't spend enough time thinking about in terms of influence. We don't spend enough time thinking about if somebody shares this, how cool do they look? How interesting do they look to their audience? How do we craft something so that it's way more likely that people are going to want to talk about it with their friends, use it with their friends and, you know, go through that whole, go through that whole process. And the way that I like to think about this is we want to be sure to share. So the first is a shortcut. Mm. We want to give people a shortcut to understand something because if it feels too complicated, they're probably not going to share it. Yeah. The can second, I share an example yeah. of that. So I, I really get, I really get this, and you know, my, the work that I did at one stage, uh, my wife, I remember being called in by my son, one of my son's school teachers, to say, "Can I just ask you a question? What, what does your husband do?" Uh, and mm. then my wife, my wife struggled to then explain what I did, because my son had said that he's seen the radio and he he, he presses buttons all day. I think is what he, <laughs> what, what he, what he, what he said. Uh, and I, I realized as well, I might go to a networking event. I do a bit of, do that. But it was only when I got very clear that I help leaders, uh, I help leaders to develop themselves, develop their teams and build highly engaged workplaces. And the moment that I said, you know, I, I actually say it's, I elevate your business um, by uh, developing leaders, teams and highly engaged workplaces. The moment I, I got very clear on that, I went to an event, an amazing person I was talking to, senior guy in a football club said, right, we need to talk, business card. Then I, then, um, I got introduced then by him to someone else who, who, when I explained what I did in that sentence, gave me his business card. And I thought, this works. And, and, and yeah. now, you know, now people can, it's, it's simple enough to say, well, he helps leaders and teams and he, he you know, makes people feel happier at work, you know, something like that. They can, yep. you know, have quite happier work environment. People can explain that. Exactly. It becomes a shortcut, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's lots of instances where we, we've seen films, right? And like, we know certain films or we know certain characters from films. So I've seen lots of instances where people explain themselves by referencing a character, you know, a character from a film. So let's say you're a really, really great, like sort of tech genius, right? And you're able to sort of jump in and, and, fix, uh, you know, technology problems for people. You might say, you know, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? And you know, the Winston Wolf character who comes in yeah. when everybody else kind of screws it up. Yep. I'm that, I'm that type of person, but literally for computers. Nice. And instantly, it's, it's a shortcut, right? Yeah, like it's nice. a shortcut. We're able to just sort of get it. Um, so the next, um, once you've nailed the shortcut is utility. Can people actually use this idea? or this thing that you're, you know, that you're talking about. So can they use it as a way to help them understand themselves better? So a lot of time when we are passing around these quizzes and these tools, it's because it has utility, right? Mm. There's a usefulness to it. The, uh, the R is for reputation. 
how does it make us look? Do, this is why a lot of TED Talks get shared because when we share a TED Talk, it makes us look like the good curator. It makes us look like the smart one. And then finally, expediency. Is it easy for us to share, right? Is it something that it doesn't take us very long? Is it something that there's already a technology that's making it work? Amazon blew up because it created one of the most expedient uh, tools, which was you can click this button and instantly buy at a time when people were still trying to type in their you know, credit card information every single time. And that's one of the main things that sort of just shot Amazon out ahead of so many other companies, especially because they patented that buy now, uh, you know, buy instantly button and, and guarded that for a really, really long time. Yeah. And, 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 by, and by the way, you can have it tomorrow morning. Yes, exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> that is, and that's the thing, right? When we, when things are made easy for us, mm we tend to be far more likely to do things with them, to share it, to, to talk about it. We don't like friction, right? Like we don't like things taking a long time. We don't like not being able to explain something. We want it to be quick. And if it's quick, we'll share it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're going to go to commercial break now. We're back again after the break. There can be more um, tips, insights, thoughts, wisdom from Michael. Um, do join us again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Michael Roderick, and we're talking about uh, we're, t- we're talking about referability and uh, becoming referable. And before the break, we uh, we looked at um, the importance of, uh, of things like um, accessibility. We talked about um, you needing a shortcut. Um, we talked about um, utility, um, things being what's it, what useful, um, yep. and and uh, reputation, and also expediency. 
and those important um, aspects. But how do we, how, do, how Michael, do we ensure, you know, we might have this, you know, kind of a, a, a sort of clear kind of statement and I shared, I shared mine. It's something that's useful as a some reputation that we built around it. Um, it's kind of accessible to people about Amazon with the, the, the one click. But how do we then ensure that it's in the memory of, of, of people? Because you mentioned this isn't about just telling people to refer you. It's about actually yeah. they want to refer you. How do you, yes. how do, you do that? Exactly. So in essence, the, the goal is to acquire land in people's minds, okay. right? So like we have sections of our brain that basically are associated with certain, you know, with certain items and brands for years have worked very, very hard to basically cause us to associate something instantly in our brains when we hear something. So if I say, just do it, a lot of money was spent to get you to remember and think Nike, right? Like a lot, right? And there was a lot of work that sort of went into that. So the thing is, there's actually a number of ways that we can build in these elements to basically make it much more likely that it will stick in somebody's mind. And the way that I like to think about this is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less. And that stands for language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. Yeah. So I'll start with language. The core reason why most of us know who Shakespeare is mm-hmm. and studied Shakespeare in school, but only English majors usually know who Christopher Marlowe is, even though they were writing around the same time, mm. is that Shakespeare added new words to the English language. So if we actually go to the dictionary, there are a bunch of words that are there that were not there before Shakespeare. Yeah. And the second that language becomes part of somebody's vocabulary, the next thing people ask is, where did you hear that? Where did you learn that word? And it refers back to that individual who sort of had created that, right? So when we give our own language to something, what ends up happening is people start to remember it more. And it stays in their head and it's always getting associated back to us. And we've seen this uh, at, in pop culture at, at extreme levels, right? So I can say the word, I can say the word Sith and a ton of people know exactly what I'm talking about. I can say the word muggle and a ton of people have an image, an image in their head. Right. So there's all of these little pieces of language that were created around different brands, around different culture that were instantly associating Mm. the second because it's part of our memory because they took the time to give it a new word. And the fact of the matter is most people never do that additional work to come up with their own word for something or their own way of saying something. Yeah. Right. It doesn't even have to be a new word. It can just be a way of rearranging the words Mm. and just doing something as simple as that. So very, very often in my writing, I will refer to Facebook as the book of faces. And I can't tell you the number of times people quote me or use that, right? 
because it's just this slight variation, yeah. right? Or referring to LinkedIn as the LinkedIn with two ends and describing it as like this bar that people <laughs> sort of like come up to you and try to add you and like all this kind of stuff, right? So, so like there are these little things that stick in your head as a result of sort of understanding that language, yeah. right? Um, so the next one is emotion. And emotion solidifies our memories. And that has to do with our primitive brain, right? If we were in the wild in primitive times and we got attacked, we needed to remember where we got attacked mm. because we had to avoid that place next time, right? So anytime we were in a heightened state of emotion, our brains would become kind of like a sponge. The thing is that never went away right? We still in heightened states of emotion, remember significantly more detail about the experience. And the, the way that I often like to illustrate this is you could ask anybody right now, what are the opening scenes of the movie Titanic? And they will have a lot of trouble trying to give you any specific detail, Yeah, but yeah. you could ask that same batch of people, what is the image that pops into your head when I say I'll never let go? Yeah. And almost everybody has an image yeah. Yeah. instantly there because they're at that heightened state of emotion. Yeah. So when we're not taking the time to infuse emotion into the experience, whether it be our own personal story or whether it be describing something or taking the time to, you know, really sort of heighten the sense of either, uh, excitement, happiness, sadness, laughter, whatever it is, if we're not taking the time to do that, we're losing out on one of the main triggers for memory yes. to make sure that people remember the experience, right? And remember the, you know, and remember the idea. Yeah. The next is simplicity. And academics have always rewarded complexity. So we're, when we were in school, we were taught, if you say the big words, if you write the big papers, you are the scholar, you are the success. But when we get out into the real world, we sort of carry that over and we think we need to impress people by using the big words and making things complex and showing them how much we know and how much we understand. But that discounts the fact that the memory reward simplicity mm. because our brains can only hold so much information at any given point in time. Mm. So if we overwhelm the brain, it's basically like, I can't keep it all. So I don't really want to remember it. I don't want really want to hold on to it because there's too much, right? And we see this all the time where we, somebody will share something with us, but it's so overcomplicated and there's so many pieces to it that we can't really tell our friends about it. Cause we're like, I just, I don't remember where it started and I don't remember where it ended. And I just, I, I just don't know kind of what to tell you, right? Like sort of what, you know, what happened. Yeah. And that ties to the last piece, which is structure. And our brains require structure to process information. We don't read a book by starting in the middle and then jumping from back to front and all over the place. We start from the beginning and we go in a logical progression. We don't tell a joke punchline first. 
right? We look for structure to be able to process information. So if we don't give people a structure to process the information, they're likely not going to remember it because they're not threading the pieces together, Mm. right? So when I say help people remember you more by focusing on less, I'm giving you a structure, right? Language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. I'm giving you a structure to understand it. And when you, you're given that structure, it's easier for you to remember it. It's easier for you to share it. And it's easier for you to see sort of the logical progression. Same with accessibility, influence, and memory. If you look at it, those things follow a logical progression because you can't be at the point where you're creating any kind of level of influence that people want to share if they don't get it, Yeah. right? If they don't understand it, they're not going to share it no matter how great it makes them look, yeah. right? Because they don't understand it. Yeah. They're going to look bad, <laughs> even if you've packaged it really well, yeah. right? And even if you conquer those first two things, if people don't remember it, they'll share somebody else's stuff that's not as good as yours yeah. very, very easily because they can remember that. Yeah. And the person with the, you know, the person who's able to get you to remember it, they win. They win over, it doesn't matter how skilled you are. It doesn't matter how much ability you have. If somebody ends up getting somebody else to remember their thing over yours, they win. Yeah. Yeah. Simple start. Yeah. Less is more. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and here's the thing that's really interesting about that, right? We look at simple very, very often as like, oh, okay, yeah, well, that's too simple, right? But simple is hard. Yes, it to is. To create something simple that people can just get is not, is, is not a matter of just throwing some words at it. You really have to spend the time to think about how would somebody else process this information? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. There's, there's a, a saying, I don't know, it was two and also who's Mark Twain wasn't uh, supposedly who said, uh, you know, I wrote a long book because I was too lazy to write a short one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. It takes, it takes time for us to pare things down to figure out like what's actually resonating and what's not. And it's, it, it's that ability to really trim things down that separates so many people yeah. You know, in that sort of world of, in that world of branding, right? Like the second that we sort of see like, okay, I can, I can recognize, like, I understand sort of where you, where you fit primarily, right? And you could do other things, but I need some kind of anchor to be like, okay, that's your main thing. And I understand you got a bunch of other things that you're doing. That's fantastic. But if you try to tell me all the other things that you're doing, my brain's going to be confused and I'm not going to know what to, you know, what to help you with. I I often have said in the past that ambiguity is kryptonite to a connector. If I'm a really good connector and you tell me that you want to meet anybody who, and then you, you know, give me some line, I will tell you, I don't know any anybody's. I only know somebody's. Yes. So you got to tell me really specifically, yeah. who do you want to, you know, who do you want to talk to? Because that's the only way I'm going to be able to find the right fit and, and the person is going to help you. Excellent. We've got, a, we've got a couple of minutes. I need to wrap up. So I want yeah. to give you an opportunity. What, 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 um, what do people experience when they work with you? 
Yeah. So for me, uh, basically they'll come to me usually with a big mess of stuff (laughs) that they want to, you know, that they want to say. And I often like to say that a lot of it is in black and white and I'll help you see kind of what's in color. I'll help you figure out how are you going to position yourself? How are you going to think about how you're presenting your idea or your brand? So it is more likely that people are going to have those conversations uh, when you're not, uh, when you're not in the room. And I do this through things like, you know, intensives and workshops and all sorts of, you know, different elements. So always happy to chat with anybody who has questions about that. Fantastic. And uh, I wonder, do you have any, any final messages that you'd like to leave us with? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think that the biggest one is this aspect of never underestimate the significance of making other people feel significant. Mm. The more that you think about the other person, the better, the better you are going to do. The brand that you're going to create is going to be so much better if you're spending the time thinking about who the brand is for, who the thought leadership is for. Because it's so easy for us to kind of get into our, get in our own way and be like, this is what I'm about and this is who I am and all of this other stuff. And what we want is not, this is what I am and this is, you know, this is what I'm about. It's, this is what I've learned. This is what I've noticed. And wouldn't you like to, you know, know more about that, right? Wouldn't that be interesting? How is this going to help you accomplish the things that you want to accomplish? I think that that's really where we need to be uh, focused um, for, you know, whenever we're sharing our message and, and getting our stuff out there. Yeah. Well, look, this has been, it's been brilliant. I've, I've really enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you and, uh, and hearing about your, you know, your, your methodology. I know there's more that we could have talked about today as well that we've not, we've not covered. Um, but I think, I think what you've done is you've um, really highlighted the different components that are really important when it comes to being referable. And, and I think that less is, that less is more, you know, using, using less is a very, very important because a lot of people do overcomplicate. It's very easy mm. to do it. It takes a lot of brain power and someone sometimes like yourself to, to help um, distill that down. And uh, so, so thank you for that. I like your t-shirt too. Dad joke. My, um, oh. <laughs> my, my <laughs> son said to me, dad, your jokes have ruined my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You're like, that's the, that, that, that's what we need to do. Like that's a, that, that, that. <laughs> That's the journey of dads, right? Like that is what we are here for, <laughs> making these dad jokes. Yeah, it says uh, dad joke loading, and it's got the little, um, it's got the little uh, loading insignia, and then it says may contain puns. <laughs> the bottom. Fantastic. Well, on next week's show, we've got I've, I've um, a little holiday next week. My mother's coming for the first time in uh, eighteen months with uh, COVID, so I've, I've pre-recorded an interview with Clint Pulver. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, Clint is a professional drummer. He's also the under undercover. Uh, I think it's, it's the undercover, not boss. He's the undercover millennial. So what he does is he goes into companies and um, asks them about um, what it's like to work in an organization pretending if someone is about to join. He finds out what's really going on. Um, but absolutely fascinating chap, um, Clint Pulver. And we're going to have lots of information next week about how, how, to, 
how to really uh, ensure that um, you retain your staff. But, but also what you'll notice next week is Clint is probably one of the best um, storytellers I've ever come across. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to le- listen back and uh, learn from him because he's an absolute master at it. Once again, really love talking to you today, uh, Michael. Thanks again, uh, Bob Colhan, for the introduction. And um, everybody, have a good week. Get in touch if you've got any questions, comments, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And I guess we want to send people, if they need to, to small pond is it enterprises.com would it be yep exactly yeah um you can see all sorts of stuff there um and there's also my referability raider.com if they want to get uh, if they want to look at their referability thanks very much everybody take care have a great week and uh, be back again very soon we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.